Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good uh, Father's Day last week. One of the things I collect for Father's Day are my Father's Day cards. Uh, so I have uh, four children, and I've noticed the older they get, the more abusive the cards tend to be. So I brought a few of these. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> says, uh, uh, this one says, uh, I should have put them on the screens. says, Dad, remember all the aggravation I used to cause you? On the inside, I'm almost done. Yeah, that's kind of a nice, uh, what's this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this one. So not all my kids are, uh, this is my son, maybe a little more reserved. Dad, you're like a father to me. No, really, I mean that. Happy Father's Day. I don't know, is that too mushy or? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this one I really liked. If you knew my kids, I won't say who it's from. Happy Father's Day from the good one. Just kidding, it's from me. Yeah, I like that. And then uh, this one was from Kelsey. And my youngest said, Dad, I know my keen intellect, my good looks, and my social graces must have come from you. Because mom still has those qualities. Now, is that really? So anyway, I hope your cards were nicer than that, but that's what I got. Uh, it is good to be with you today. Uh, Dale and I and Karen uh, all work together, and uh, I was <laughs> joking this morning. So this is actually, I, we do a number of meetings every week. This is the first one I've done in person. Karen pointed out that even though I've been wearing dress shirts, I've generally worn sweatpants and sneakers, and I shouldn't do that today. So you can thank her that I'm wearing my, grown, my uh, what, my big boy clothes. The title we're looking at today is From Stressing to Blessing. And what I've been thinking about a lot recently is this issue of influence. Um, that we, and I like this phrase, that we need to be intentional about our influence. We're going to look at a couple of verses, but uh, we live in challenging times, don't we? We have the pandemic, the health crisis, we have economic challenges. We have uh, challenges of race and justice. Uh, we have um, just issues that, uh, where we have peaceful protests and then violent riots. We've got all kinds of things going on. By the way, uh, Karen and I really appreciated uh, Gregory Elder's message last, night, uh, last week on, from Luke 7. Um, that's a really excellent passage where uh, Jesus is interacting with the... Uh, Pharisee and then with the woman who comes and washes his feet and that idea of how people with power see other people boy it's just a great passage I'd never really thought of it that way appreciated it but another one I really like is the one uh, that Nate shared um, and that was in Philippians 2 and you might write down this reference I don't think I stuck it on the screens but uh, Philippians 2 14 and 15 says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Leave, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people among a dark generation. So that challenge of us to be lights in this time is really important. And, uh, you know, are we whining or shining is a question we've been asking. And it is a challenge. <laughs> I, have you, I, uh, um, I got this statement, you know it's going to be a bad day when, 
And then I Google searched that. And re- so uh, these are some more lighthearted looks at that. You know, it's going to be a dead, uh, bad day when you call your answering service, ask for your messages, and they tell you it's none of your business. That's probably... Your car horn goes off and won't shut off. Your heart car horn goes on, won't shut off as you follow a group of hell's angels down the freeway. You know, it's going to be a bad day when you sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. You know, that's kind of a... You know, it's going to be a bad day when you call the suicide prevention line. They put you on hold. That's probably not... You know, it's going to be a bad day when you turn on the evening news. I like this one. When you turn on the evening news and they're showing emergency routes out of your neighborhood, that's probably... (laughs) And actually, I shared this one with somebody who has a twin sister, uh, John Warren. You know, it's a bad day when your twin sister forgets your birthday. That's kind of... When the bird singing outside your window is a vulture, that's a... And then uh, I like this one because we need to get a, a guy to come out to our house. You know, it's a bad day when the exterminator crawls under your house and never comes back out. That's kind of, it's a bad day. So we live in a time where you face a lot of bad days, don't we? There are challenges and difficulties. Uh, you know, they couldn't have picked a better song. Do we focus on the bad days or do we focus on the goodness of God? Do we whine or shine in this context? And of course, shining, part of shining is sharing, isn't it? Uh, Someone said, uh, one one source said that C.S. Lewis stated this, don't shine so that others can see you, shine that uh, others through you can see Jesus. So we want to be shining during these times, don't we? We want to be thinking about how God can use us in the lives of others. Uh, the founder of our organization, I, I work for an organization called The Navigators, and founder of our organization was a man named Dawson Trotman. And Dawson Trotman used to pray daily that God would use him in the life of every person he came in contact with. Isn't that great? Lord, will you use me just in some way in the life of every person I come in contact so that we make life about Christ, and not so much about us. From stressing to blessing. So I, we have, I don't know if you have notes. I broke it up into two sections. The first one I called appreciating influence. Second one is aspects of influence. Appreciating influence. Proverbs 11.11 is a great verse. It's, and this is from stressing to blessing. It says, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked is overthrown. And I think that idea of us taking responsibility, and uh, David was talking some about that in what he was uh, sharing on the back table, taking responsibility for our influence on our city. Are we a blessing to the people we're with? Tom Brokaw, you know, the news guy, still got some stuff on TV from time to time, said it's easy to make a dollar, it's a lot harder to make a difference. And sometimes we get so caught up in making the dollar, we forget that our primary purpose on earth is to make a difference. God wants to use us that way. Uh, Talking about influence, Adrian Rogers is a Baptist pastor. He passed away just a few years ago. He was in Tennessee. God used him all over the U.S. and really globally. 
He said, it's more important to influence people than to impress people. And I really like that. That's, that's what Paul modeled. That's what Jesus modeled is the goal is to influence people. The blessing of the upright, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Some thoughts, quick thoughts about influence. I'll give you four points we need to remember about influence. Number one is influence is unavoidable. Um, I used to collect, I've kind of stopped doing it, celebrities' statements where they say they don't want to be a role model for other people. Dennis Rodman, the basketball player, was really famous for saying that repeatedly, which was probably a good thing, you know, considering Dennis's life. But another guy who said it when he was younger was Charles Barkley. He's matured since then, but he was very famous for making the statement, I'm not a role model. And Carl Malone, who's an, a much quieter, but a, a world-class basketball player, retired now, responded to Barkley's statement in an essay he wrote for Sports Illustrated. And here's what he said in just a couple of sentences, great for Christians to remember. He said, Charles, you can deny being a role model all you want, but I don't think it's your decision to make. We don't choose to be role models, we're chosen. Our only choice is whether to be a good role model or a bad one. You don't have any choice about being an influence on the people around you. You will influence them. The only choice you have is what kind of influence. I can remember when I was a young believer, um, one of my mentors was a guy named Mark Day. I wish we were just looking at a picture of his wife, Lexi, uh, uh, from years ago. But uh, I can remember Mark, who was teaching me about evangelism, about sharing my faith, and the back and forth with people. And he said, remember, Rob, you're not the last Christian this person is going to bump into. So you're responsible that they, that they will be more favorably inclined to the next one. You know, so what he said was actually, he said, leave a good taste in the person's mouth. Um, I heard Josh McDowell say, remember, the goal is to win the person, not win the argument. And that's a profound truth, isn't it? Sometimes we get so cut up in winning, we lose the person. Influence is unavoidable. Lee Strobel, you've probably read The Case for Christ, things like that. In one of uh, his writings, he said, he, he quotes someone else who said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their compassion, their faith. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they're grouchy and joyless, self-righteous and judgmental, narrow and unloving, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. So are we an argument for or against? With other drivers? You know, with uh, people, you know, it's more, really more important than whether or not your food is right, it's how you treat the wait staff and the witness you have in that restaurant. Check out people. Oh, what was that? Uh, should I tell that story or not? I, uh, a man was pulled over driving uh, through town here in Albuquerque. The police officer asked to see his license and registration, and, and the man handed it to the, the policeman and said, uh, what's the problem, officer? I don't think I was speeding. And the officer said, no, you weren't speeding, but I've been following you for a while, and I saw how angry you got when that woman cut you off in traffic. 
and how you chased after her and pulled up alongside her. And uh, I could see that you were yelling at her th- across uh, um, the car and how you were gesturing. And I don't think that was a God bless you gesture. Then. And I saw all that you were doing. And then I noticed that on your bumper there was a what would Jesus do sticker and a Christian uh, fish symbol. So naturally, I assumed you'd stolen the car. I, uh... <laughs> Maybe you remember that old poem. It, you know, it's one of those simple kind of iambic pentameter things that's really stuck with me over the years. You're writing a gospel, a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. People read what you write, distorted or true. What is the gospel according to you? Influence is unavoidable. Number two is influence is unpredictable. I, uh, I don't know if you've watched any of those Ken Burns specials. He's had one on the Civil War and he's had several others. One he had uh, recently, just uh, three or four years ago, was on uh, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson uh, in the mid-1940s, became the first African-American athlete to play, in the ma- play Major League Baseball. And he just endured incredible racial um, bias, taunts, slurs, abuse. Watch the movie. It's just unbelievable. And by the way, uh, if you have African-American friends, they'll tell you stories of that still happening. That has, those are deeply rooted But a guy named Brad Herzog wrote a book called The Sports 100, and he had identified Jackie Robinson as the most influential person in American sports history. Influence is unpredictable. When uh, Jackie Robinson was making choices to respond with character and dignity, he had no idea how widespread or far-reaching. One of the things he said a lot is uh, Jackie Robinson a life isn't significant except for its impact on others. A number of years ago, uh, when I was, uh, actually, Karen Warren was on staff here, Dale Coffing was on staff here at Hoffmantown, and I snuck under the bar. I was on staff for a while, and while I was on staff, I met this guy uh, who had come to church, and they had, he said his family didn't go to church, and they had just started coming, and I met with him, and uh, I said, uh, well, what led you to come to church here? We actually became good friends with their family, and uh, he trusted Christ. His wife trusted Christ, had the privilege of uh, seeing that and baptizing them and their whole family. Well, he said, we have a mid-school daughter, and this is when Todd Cook was doing the mid-school ministry. We have a mid-school daughter who um, started coming to church here, and uh, none of us uh, would go to church, but we wanted our mid-school daughter to take piano lessons. He said, and this was the dad, my mom is a concert pianist and we wanted her to take lessons from her, but she didn't want to take piano lessons. So finally, uh, Dave went to his daughter and said, uh, well, what would it take for us to get you to take lessons from my mom? And no kidding, this, uh, this first person, I knew all four of these people. He, uh, his daughter, mid-school daughter said, well, I'll take piano lessons from grandma if all of you will come to church with me. And they came to church and every one of them came to Christ. See, influence is unpredictable, isn't it? 
It's unavoidable, it's unpredictable. Number three is it's often invisible. About 50 years ago, 50 years ago last summer actually, was when we had the first man on the moon. You remember that? Uh, Some of you are old enough to maybe even remember the event, July 1969. The person who landed on the moon, the first person to step on the moon was who? Neil Armstrong, right. The person who was with him, who also stepped out on the moon, you remember him? Buzz Aldrin. And then the third guy who manned the capsule that stayed up, anybody remember him? Michael Collins. You know, we're not always... (laughs) How well you knew that is disturbing, but... uh, We're not all going to be Neil Armstrong. Sometimes we're going to be Michael Collins, but... Uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin wouldn't have been able to walk on the moon if it hadn't been for Michael Collins, who never got to go uh, land on the moon, although he was just one of 24, and he's kind of, his name's kind of a trivia question. People don't know him. Your influence may be invisible. Um, I could, t- when I talk about influence, I could tell you about Karen's husband, uh, Craig, and just ways, we knew, I, I never met Karen, but when uh, Craig and I were young and single, we were in training with the navigators together, and then he headed to Africa, and I'd been in Japan, and uh, so we didn't meet, meet till uh, after our spouses passed away. If you knew my first wife, you would know that the last thing I could ever get her to do, she would probably be willing to stand up here like Ke- uh, Karen did. She wouldn't like it. And she wouldn't want to say anything. She was a quiet person. But she was a quiet person who had an amazing network of relationships and impact on people. And we did these, we still do them, these faith at work lunches. At that point, we're doing, I I think, three a month. And uh, uh, there were uh, quite a few people coming. It was in the hundreds. and, And she actually knew every person by name because she would do registration. Now, I was the person up front speaking. She was the person doing registration, interacting with everybody. She died Christmas Day, 2011. Uh, Two weeks later, second Wednesday in January, um, I I was scheduled to speak at the first of these three uh, Faith at Work lunches, and I just talked about Charlene. I talked about uh, her faith and how she had dealt with her cancer, and how she had decided just to trust God and not question God, and how she had honored God by her joy and peace, and how she looked forward to heaven. And, and, um, I went, and then we talked about how this was all because of Jesus, how she had given her life to Christ when she was about 18 years old, and that Jesus had changed everything in her. And then I said, and this is all adults, by the way. It's business people, businessmen and women. I said, look, we don't normally do this, but today, if you're not sure about your relationship with God, but you would like to have the same relationship with God through Christ that Charlene had, we're going to give you the opportunity to pray and make a note of that today. And we bowed and prayed. We asked people to let us know. We had over 200 men and women pray to receive Christ. Not because of me, but because of this quiet person that they knew and they wanted in their life what she had in hers. Influence doesn't have to be visible to be 
impressive. Then number four is influence needs to be intentional. I love this statement, live in such a way that those who don't know Jesus will want to know Jesus because they know you. It needs to be intentional. And again, how you drive shouldn't be about how you drive. It should be about, you know, kind of that story with the cop, policeman, you know. You know, same when you're at a checkout counter, same when you're in a restaurant, you're writing a gospel, a chapter each day. I like, uh, so I like the people who reach the people we know. So like you think of Barnabas, one of the things Barnabas did was go and get Paul, mentor Paul. And, you know, I could never be a Paul, but maybe God could use me to be a Mar- Barnabas. Think of the same thing with Peter. Um, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the first of the apostles to hear about Jesus. And uh, he... Um, met Jesus. And then in John 141, it says the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, tell him we have found the Messiah and brought him to Jesus. You know what's happened in America? We've become attenders and stopped being bringers. And if this doesn't change, well, make it bring it closer to home. If this is a church of attenders rather than bringers, then we can schedule when we close the doors. God brought us here. I I love this statement. This is by a guy named Warren Wiersbe, and it's a little theme in this, this morning. He said, you're a Christian because somebody cared. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. You're here because somebody invited you here. Now it's your turn. Somebody welcomed you when you came here. Now it's your turn. And boy, as a church, we've got to step up and say, okay, it's our turn. Influence should be intentional. Aspects of influence. Let me give you four right quick. The first one, and these are all from the life of Jesus. Jesus taught us more about influencing people than any other person who ever lived. All we have to do is look at his life and we can see what he did in interaction with all kinds of people. And the first thing he did, the first way we influence people is we care for people. You've probably heard that statement. I've tried to source it, um, but it's attributed to so many different people. But the statement is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus said, by all this, all men will um, know you're my disciples if you love one another. God's number one, what? The number one identifier for uh, Hoffmantown needs to not be deep Bible teaching or doctrinal purity. The thing Jesus said we need to be known most for is we're just a loving, welcoming group. We had a couple come to Christ here at the church and we had them in Bible study for years. They're close friends and uh, uh, her her parents weren't believers and uh, they started going to a small church, different church. And I asked them how how their experience at this church was and they said, uh, uh, the father, um, our friend Terry's father said, uh, well... So-so, he said, nobody talked to us for a couple of weeks. Then finally, somebody spoke to us, and I 
I said, what did what'd they say? And they said, uh, you're sitting in our seat. Are we that kind of church? Do we get up, reach out, introduce, connect? Or is it just about attending? We need to care for others. And Jesus loved everybody, didn't he? Boy, what an example if Christians are like this in America today. Rich and poor, religious, irreligious, Jew and Gentile, young and old. Something I wrote down for me, maybe you'll want to write it down for you. Jesus' example in love is you love people more than they deserve and you treat people better than they deserve. That's how he loves you. That's how he loves me. He loves us more than we deserve. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. Billy Graham put it this way. He said, God loves you. You're rebellious. You cheat. You lust. You're selfish. You sin. But God loves you with an intensity beyond anything I could describe to you. He loves you. He loves you so much he gave his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And the thing that, Jesus, that kept Jesus on the cross was love, not nails. Now it's your turn. Now it's my turn. So we need to care for others. Second is we need to consider others or serve John 13, 13 through 15. I put 15 in the notes. I have given you an example to follow what I have done, you do. But starting in verse 13, Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. We need to serve others. Jesus did that all the time. Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, the average conversation after, uh, about church, after people have been to a church, it's about how they were treated at church. But the right conversation for us uh, as Christians after church should be how we treated others at church who we noticed, who we reached out to, who we sat down with, who we introduced ourselves to. When I was involved with the military ministry overseas, we used to go to chapel, and uh, then what we'd do is just invite any new guy that we saw at chapel out for lunch, talk to him, share the gospel with him. We need to serve others. It's our turn. We need to be a church that reaches out, that welcomes people. And then that number three, I said, you know, we care for others, consider others. Number three is we need to cry out for others. And I, I was going to put pray for others, but it didn't start with a C. So. But the other thing is I wanted something that was stronger than pray. Because I think prayer as a word has just been so diluted. Who do you cry out for? You know, with tears and pleading. I put this verse down, Luke twenty-two thirty-two. Must have been something that stuck with Peter his whole life. It was after Jesus warned Peter that he was going to deny him, but before it actually happened. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. Jesus said, "But I have prayed for you, Simon or Peter, that your faith may not fail." 
And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus lived a life of prayer. He prayed fervently. He prayed with tears for people. Romans 10.1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I don't know how many people we've got in the room today, but how many of us are praying for lost people, lost neighbors, lost coworkers, lost family members? You know, if we have, uh, if a thousand Christians each pray for 10 people, 10 lost people, that's 10,000. You know, if there are 50 to 100,000 committed Christians in Albuquerque, I don't know that there are, we could cover the whole city. Pray for every single lost person in Albuquerque. Be a blessing to our city. I, so I read a book called Quiet Talks on Prayer by a guy named Steve Gordon. It's one of my fi- favorite little books on prayer. And one of the things he says in there, he says the great people of the earth today are people who pray. He says, I don't mean the people who talk about prayer. I don't mean the, the people they say they believe in prayer or even those who can explain about prayer. But I mean the people who take time and pray. They don't have the time. It must be taken from something else. And this something else is very important and pressing. But still less important and less pressing than prayer. I'm not sure, but I think real crying out to God, praying, may be the most underutilized resource in American Christianity. We need to pray. I got a great story about that, but I'll save it for another time. Then the last one is coach others. We don't want to ever forget about the command in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, do we? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the... You know, I think because there's the teaching and baptizing and all that in there, sometimes we forget that he was sharing this with individuals who in turn were to share it with every... So that in the first century, everybody did this. What did Paul say to Timothy? He said, Timothy, what you have heard from me entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also for generation. Everybody did it. It wasn't delegated to clergy, to people on the platform. I, uh, I like this statement because I think it works so well with the idea of mentoring people. And again, I couldn't find who said it originally, so I'm going to say I said it originally, and then I'll just confess that later. I I like this, though. It says, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only influence them up close. You know, we can be impressed by somebody up here, but it's what you know about them, right? You can impress people at a distance, but you can influence them only up close. And then you have you write down uh, a real simple doable uh, mission statement or goal. One to know and one to grow. One to know and one to grow. You're always praying and looking for one person that you can nudge toward Jesus. That's one to know. One to grow. There's somebody that you're helping grow spiritually. And we never outgrow our responsibility to these two things. 
to help others know, help others grow. And if you think of it in terms of one, it's very doable. Maybe it's one neighbor you're building a relationship with, with the hope of having a spiritual conversation. I, uh, I, you know, Nate Herbst has spoken at our, uh, in our services a number of times. He's a great communicator. I always like um, uh, when he uh, speaks. But you know what I like best is every time I've heard him speak, he tells a story of somebody recently that he's talked to about Jesus. Every time. Now, I'm no Nate Hurst, and I, sometimes he says, I did this, and Smith's, and, you know, they'd beat me with a big stick if I did. But still, I can be reaching out and connecting, one to know, one to grow. We can all be doing that, building relationships, helping others come to know Jesus. Give you another little poem I kind of like. Trying to decide whether to tell this story. How many of you have heard of World Vision? You know, this global uh, assistance program, tremendous ministry all over the world. The president of World Vision said the person he believes has had the greatest impact on global poverty in the world in the last 35 years is uh, a largely unknown World Vision staffer named Steve Reynolds. Steve Reynolds. None of us know Steve Reynolds. Steve Reynolds was working in 1985. He was working in Ethiopia during the worst famine they'd had there in at least a generation. Spent these difficult days in refugee camps, relief camps, witnessed uh, the horrors of starvation and death. Just having a really hard time. One day, he got a call from World Vision headquarters asking if he would be willing to host a couple from the UK who would like to learn more about uh, World Vision, their ministry. And this couple's name was Allie and Paul Hewson. They were a Christian couple from Ireland, and they visited with Steve, and they got so caught up in what Steve was doing, they stayed for a month, and basically Steve discipled them in kind of Christian aid, dealing with the physical and the spiritual needs of people. And it had a huge impact on Allie and Paul Hewson. In fact, it had such an impact on their lives that they went back and began championing, championing this to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, to presidents and prime ministers and governments. And uh, Allie and who was it, Paul? God used them and their Christian witness to impact, uh, mobilize people all over the world to help with poverty. Now, you know Paul Hewson by his stage name, which is Bono. He's the lead singer for U2. But the reason Bono does what he does is because God used Steve Reynolds. We're not Bono, but you never know who that person is, that one to know, one to grow. My life shall touch so many lives before my life is done. Leave countless marks for good or bad before the setting sun. This the wish I always wish, the prayer I always pray. Lord, use me to draw each one to you by deeds and words each day. Father, thank you for this time. And we do pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts and that we would uh, what recommit ourselves 
to focus on being used by you. One to know, one to grow, Lord, help us. We ask these things in your son's name, amen. Thank you. Let's see, Sam, there you are. Thanks a lot, Rob. Just a, two quick things, um, and then we'll let you go. Uh, those of you who had, didn't get your Compass Plus in your email uh, this week, uh, it's because our computer systems went down on Friday and Saturday. Uh, we, Michael Taylor and the technicians from our computer support people didn't get, get, didn't get it operating again until about 8.30 last night. So thank you, Michael, for uh, doing that. But that's why your Compass Plus wasn't in your email this week. Sorry about that. Um, Today is the last day for voting on the budget for next year. Uh, if you've already done that, thank you. Many, many of you have done that. Thank you for the support in that. Uh, if you still would like to do it, right now is your very last moment. We're going to collect the remaining ballots uh, as soon as the conclusion of our worship time here today, and then we'll be counting them immediately following. Um, probably in this week's Compass, and I'm not sure where else you'll be able to read about the results, uh, but uh, that will the end, end of the voting is right now. Uh, if you haven't yet done it and wish to, there are ballots on the wooden boxes as you exit, uh, where you can put your tithe and offerings as well. Uh, you can fill out a ballot right now. There's also some still at the visitor center out in Fellowship Mall. Uh, so if you could just fill it out, drop it in one of the wooden boxes, and then the security folks and the finance committee members will be picking those up immediately following and then uh, doing the counting. So that's all the things I had to say. So thank you all for coming today. And thanks again to Rob. Terrific message today, Rob. Thank you very much. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you.